going to share, and I'm going to share probably the most Father's Day specific message I've ever preached, but I, I want to preface it with this. This applies to the whole body, okay? This isn't just a men's message, okay? This is going to be the word. But we've been in this series of turning the world upside down, which is what I believe the Lord has called us to do, Acts 17, 6, that these men who have upset the world have come here, or these men who have turned the whole city upside down have come here, and they turn the city upside down by way of just saying Jesus is king, not Caesar. And so for us today, the world gets turned upside down by way of us saying Jesus is king, Okay, not a Republican, not a Democrat. It, we, we proclaim Jesus as king not by saying that such and such person or this, that person or whatever. We proclaim Jesus as king by living like he actually is the king despite what's going on around us. Okay, and when we as a people begin to live that way, it's so contrary to what's going on in the world around us, it actually releases a move of the Holy Spirit. And it's like, how in the world with everything going on in the world, how in the world with everything going on in this city and all the tensions and everything going on, how is it that this company of people are keeping their cool in this hour, right? How is it that this company of people seem to walk around with smiles on their faces or how is it that those people over there are always generous and being kind to strangers and being good to people that they've never met before well what happens when we begin to live this way the way of the kingdom it turns the world upside down because it's and really first it's offensive to those around right because they don't understand it but then as that offense starts to initially go down it serves as an invitation for others to begin to live the same lifestyle and we are called to turn i said i said last week make no mistakes about it we are called to turn the world upside down we are not called just to have good church services to say that all the time i love our services what god's doing here is very significant okay but if what he's doing in us never translates to through us then what he's doing in us is probably nothing at all but if it translates through us i think that's the litmus test and we've been in this process for three and a half plus years of the Lord refining and teaching us things, teaching us that the ways of the kingdom, like He still moves supernaturally all the time. He's a supernatural God. Teaching us beloved identity, that the most important thing about us is our identity as beloved. And everything comes from that identification. And so we've been through all these different types of things over the last few years, or even proximity, where the greatest place to live is just right next to Him. We get planted next to Him and the rivers flow. Psalm 1, Ezekiel 47, Revelation 22. Like the Lord, He, he starts to move and because we planted ourselves next to Him and then we end up being able to live lives which perpetually bear fruit. It, we've learned all of these things. And I believe the Lord is starting to transition not to where we become a, a, 
a social justice-driven, socially justice-driven type of body where we're like, we've got to do this and this and this and this, but now because we've learned who we are or we're learning who we are, we start to receive burdens from the Lord. He starts to speak to us, and rather than doing things because we think that this is what good church people do, we actually do things because the Lord has spoke to us to do these things, and then there's much more fruit on these things after, after we move forward. So we've, we've, I want to read this quote again just because I like it. But it's Leonard Ravenhill. If God could turn some of us inside out, he might send us to turn the world upside down. We've been turned inside, like some of us have been really turned inside out over the last few years. Okay, really, really turned inside out. Or that process of Jeremiah where we talk about that process of spinning. He put us on that potter's wheel and he made us yet again another. Like he just spun us, spun us, spun us. Felt like everything's been out of control. But really, it's just we were in the grip of his hand. And he started removing the imperfections. He started molding us and shaping us and turning us into who he has asked us to be. And so it's just this picture of what the Lord's doing. And I, I'm thankful for that picture. So he turned, that's what qualifies us to be used by God. All right. So, so with, with that introduction, I believe the revelation the Lord's wanting to give, and I love how he does stuff because I felt like even in worship, the Lord was giving this impartation of what he was doing, and I believe the revelation the Lord desires for us to begin to receive is the revelation of the Father's heart. Yes. And I can't explain it other than like this. Like, I, I know, I, I have read before what the Father's heart is countless times. But there needs to come a moment from where it's more than the words in, on the page or on the screen to where it gets translated into my heart and I start to actually sense and think and feel the way the Father senses, thinks, and feels. Okay? So, so, so the Father, Brett started singing part of this, the Father initiated this whole thing. We love because He first loved us. That's 1 John 4, 19. We, he initiates everything. And, and, and He initiated it with Jesus. The Father turned His heart towards Christ Jesus when Jesus was on the planet Earth. He turned His heart to Him. That's why in Matthew 3, He says this, Behold, a voice out of the heavens said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We've taught this before, but, but I'm just going to, for our benefit, it's to your advantage, I say this to you again, as Paul, used to, or Paul wrote. But, but he said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. This was before Jesus went out to the wilderness. This was before Jesus turned water into wine. It was before He ever accomplished a miracle. It was before He ever laid hands on any sick people. It was before He ever preached a, ser preached a sermon. It was before He did absolutely anything. It was before He went to the cross, suffered, and died. And the Father looks at Him and says, This is my beloved Son. In Him I am well pleased. And I think it would do us well to get that revelation that like, you don't need to earn the Lord's approval. You don't need to earn his approval. He has already said, I approve. Now, it doesn't give us an excuse. I, I, I hate that I have to even give this disclaimer. But it doesn't give us an excuse to live all however we want. It doesn't do that. It actually propels us to follow his laws and his decrees because it's like if he loves me that much, I can't help but live my life for him. 
then he says it again. By the way, the only, two, the only sermon the Father ever preached was Jesus. He preached two sermons. The Father, the voice out of heaven, spoke two times in the New Testament. The first time was when Jesus was baptized. That was here in Matthew chapter 3. And the second time he spoke was on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was just wrapped in glory and the Lord spoke again. And he said, this is my beloved son, or this is my beloved son, my chosen one. Listen to him. It's the only thing the Father said throughout the entire New Testament. Now, He spoke through apostles, prophets, shepherds, teachers, evangelists. He spoke through all of them. But the verbatim, audible voice of the Lord only came twice. And both times, it was Him turning His heart to His Son. I think that's a big deal. I think it's a big deal. So He says, I'm pleased in Him and listen to Him. And I think for us, it's a picture of us saying... I need to receive the fact that he's pleased and then I need to actually listen to what Jesus is saying. And if I do those two things, I think I'm going to be okay when it's all said and done with. There's a whole lot of other stuff in there, but I think we complicate it. It's like, man, I love him. I'm going to listen to everything he says. All right. I also believe that this is our model for future generations. I told you he's going to preach Father's Day. We have been called to raise up spiritual sons and daughters. This model that the father, this model that the father modeled for us by way of looking at Christ Jesus is our example to raise up those that's coming up after us. It's the, it's the way that we parent. It's the way that we mother and father in the church. It's the way that we disciple, if you want to use that language. I'm not going to. I'm going to say mother and father because they think it means something to us. And so the father really showed the example of what it looks like. And he turned his eyes to his son. Beloved, what would it look like? And I believe we're doing this, but what would it look like if we turned our eyes to those coming up after us? Like, like, it's not a news flash. Like, one day, and, and like, I'm not being more, one day, I'm going to be dead and gone. <laughs> and it's up to those that's coming up after us to run with what we have started. And if we run the race without keeping them in mind, what happens is they have to start all over again. And, and like, at, in the natural, for a parent, like, I don't want my son Ethan and I don't want my future daughter. I want them to have an easier, better life than I did because that's what parents want. And, and, I, and so, but I could be like, figure it out yourself, boy, <laughs> you know? Or I could be like, this is what I did. There's a difference. All right? So the Father's heart in us turns to sons and daughters. We have a, let's, I want to give some facts. We ha, I think we have a father issue in the United States. I would even go as far as saying this. I'm trying to determine how, how I, think, I think every sin issue on the planet is because of a lack of a father. It's a fathering issue. Every sin, every struggle is a father issue. Now, now I'll, I'll break down what father means in this here in a second. So, ladies, this applies to you too. But just, just, I just want to give some stats in the United States because this is mind-boggling to me. 
There are, in the U.S. alone, there are 2.7 million parents in prison right now. 2.7 million parents in prison. Out of the 2.7, 2.4 are fathers. Now listen to this. this I'm just going to read some of this. 90% of convicted felons are raised in fatherless homes. 90% of all convicted felons are raised in fatherless homes. Now, by the way, let me just say this, because I know like we have this fascinating church where we have people that's adopted, we have people that's been raped, but like, you, you don't have to be blood to be someone's father. And, 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 and those of us that, that, that you've had people come into your life, they don't have to be your blood to be your father. Okay? I'm just going to say that. That way... But 90% of felons are raised in fatherless homes. And this is what fathers do. Fathers lead their families. Fathers correct, rebuke. Fathers love. Fathers serve. Fathers encourage. Fathers say, go for it. That's what a father does. There's lots of things. And the Lord's heart in us is to live out this father's heart. And I'm getting this from, look at Malachi 4, and this is where I'll spend the rest of our time. Malachi 4, it's the very, <laughs> if you, it's, it's easy to find. Just go to Matthew chapter 1 and turn, turn over one page to your left, and it's the very last chapter of the Old Testament. The very last thing that the Lord said in the Old Testament was this, through his prophet Malachi. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet, or, or some translations may even say he's going to send the spirit of Elijah. I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before, coming of the great, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers so I will not come and smite the land with a curse okay so so let me before I really get into this the word father it, it means it means grandfather it could be translated as father it could be translated as chief like the head of a tribe if you will and it also is translated as progenitor which progenitor means, quite simply, that a progenitor is the person that something begins with. And so I'd look around the room and I realized that, 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 that there's men and women in this room. And every person in this room could be a progenitor in that, that you are the initiation for your kids or your spiritual sons and daughters to begin to walk in relationship with Christ Jesus. And so when I, I'm going to use the word fathering, but I just want you all just, this is just what I'm going to do. Like, I'm okay saying I'm the bride of Christ. I'm going to need you to be okay with the language of saying fathering today, okay? All right. So, so, so we are, we, the, the word father again, grandfather, father, chief, like of a tribe or of a group of people or progenitor, meaning the initiation of a movement within a group of people. I like the word progenitor. I told April I was going to use the word progenitor, and I, I felt real proud of myself. <laughs> God's heart 
God's heart is for generational revival, not something that dies when the parents die or, the, or that way the kids have to start over. Okay, the Lord always thinks generationally, and I believe, again, that if we would, we would see the greatest revival that the earth has ever seen. And, and again, this is practically, this is raising up people that we believe that are going to go further than any of us have ever went, they're going to succeed in more than we've ever succeeded that will not have to fight the battles that we fought. Like I look at these kids right here. I remember when I first came up in church, when I first came up in the church and was pastoring, there was something called the worship wars, which is silly, by the way. But we were having board meetings about what type of music we were singing. I'm like, these kids will never even know that. They're going to worry about things. How do we get more people saved? Does that make sense? Like, it, like in, but if we don't deal with some of these things, and I'm not making a declaration on what I like. That doesn't matter to me. I'm making a statement that if we don't deal with certain things that generations behind will have to deal with. And so it's like what's going on in the country with systemic racism. Like you would have thought that it would have ended in 1865, right? But it was just kind of covered up. And now it's boiling back over. And so we're going to have to be the generation that deals with it so that the others don't have to after us, okay? And it's like, like we understand, like you can't sweep problems under the rug. If, and like this, if you hide something, eventually it's going to come to light in your lifetime or someone else's lifetime. It's just... It's just like this. It's, it's like, it's like uh, uh, I, I can remember growing up and my dad was a plumber and pipe fitter and, and the company that he worked for, it was found out years later that they buried a bunch of stuff they probably should not have buried in the ground because it was killing and destroying everything, polluting everything. And so one generation thought, we don't know what to do with it. We're going to bury the issue. And now future generations are going to have to deal with the cleanup. And so rather than dealing with it when it starts, we sometimes put stuff off and what we don't realize is those that we love the most that's going to have to deal with those things. And me as a dad would rather deal with something right now so that that young man back there or this little girl right here does not have to because, again, I want them to go further and, and, and succeed more than I have ever have. I, I just want that. That's my heart. And I think that is what a father's heart desires. And so when it comes to the ways of revival, when you, when you study revival history... When you study revival history or great moves of God, typically they end because of one of two things. Like sin gets in and pride gets in and people start thinking it's because of how clever they are rather than it's the glory of the Lord moving. Or the Lord did something new and that one new thing that the Lord did during that time, they think this is what God wants to do forever rather than remaining pressed into the voice of the Lord and the Lord whispering what to do next, right? And so, so they keep trying to do something and they're like, man, the Lord was on that 50 years ago yes but he's not doing that right now like that's one a second reason why they end and the third reason they they end is because we fail to train up people up after us because eventually we die <laughs> eventually our bodies give up Again, it's not to be morbid. I just want to explain the importance of what we have as a company of people to mother and father those coming up after us. And you're like, well, I don't even know. I've, I've got more problems than a three-legged run-over dog. Like, I don't, how am I supposed to do this? Just love them. Yeah. I think, like, I, well, this wasn't in my notes, but I think you could look around the room 
You could look around the room, those of us that follow Jesus for a long time, and you can look and you can see someone that your heart's drawn to. That whether they're this big or whether they're as big as you, but they haven't been walking with Jesus as long as you. And you could look at them and say, I'm just going to start walking with you. I'm going to let you in on my failures. I'm going to let you in on my victories because I want you to succeed. The Father's heart, the Father's heart is to release the spirit of Elijah. Now, now it's like, what is the spirit of Elijah? Well, you know, verse 5 right here, he says this, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Or the spirit of Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. He, he's, he's prophesying that he's going to send the spirit of Elijah before Jesus comes. That's what he's saying. And, and, and we know Jesus referred to John the Baptist as this, the coming of Elijah. Again, because Elijah lived once, but the spirit of Elijah, the Lord can just put on people. But uh, uh, Matthew 11 says this, and if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who is to come. So, so why, why, did Jesus, or why, why, why did Jesus say that he was Elijah to come? And why did Malachi prophesy that it was the spirit of Elijah that was going to come? Well, Elijah ministered during a time of crisis. Elijah ministered during a time of national crisis. I, I would, I don't know. I don't even think I have to be smart to say, we're in a time of national crisis. Yeah. <laughs> you don't got to be smarter. It's like, it's very evident. But listen, Elijah, he ministered during a time when people were far from God, when they were turning from God to follow, the, to follow Baal, to follow a false religion, to follow the demonic. He was, he, was, he was ministering in that time. He was ministering in a time where he had to confront Jezebel, which is a sexually perverted spirit, which very, sounds very much like what's going on today. He had to confront her, right? He had to confront her, and she ended up getting eaten by dogs. Just this amazing, amazing story. He was in the middle of droughts. He was in the middle of all this stuff, and the, the Lord Christ Jesus, Jesus and Malachi both prophesied that said there's going to be one that's coming and it's going to be the spirit of Elijah and the spirit of Elijah prepares the way of the Lord. It's just like, where, where am I going with this? Well, let me, let's just look at what John the Baptist did. Because again, this is all born out of a father's heart, okay? This is all born from a father's heart. If we get a father's heart, I think it qualifies the spirit of Elijah to come. The spirit of Elijah is the spirit of revival. But in Matthew 3, this is what John, this was John the Baptist's job description. You, hey, John, what do you do? This is what John said. Matthew 3, 1. Now, in the days of John the Baptist, he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness... Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. So John the Baptist goes out to the wilderness and he starts saying, I'm the one that's making the way ready for Jesus to come. Here he's saying, Behold the Lamb of God which was slain before the foundations of the world. He's in this position. He's making way. He's calling people to... Really, John, he's, like, he's exposing sin. He's, he's preaching repentance and conversion. That's when he says, Behold the Lamb. And he's announcing the judgment that will befall those that are unrepentant. 
And so like, 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 and he's, and it's like, people don't like talking about judgment, but the Lord's going to judge. That's just the way it is, right? But when he judges, he judges the things that get in the way of loving him. I just convinced of that. So it's like, oh, let's sin. I'm going to judge that very thing. And it's better off to just go ahead and let the blood of Jesus reconcile you nice and spot and nice and clean right here and right now so that you're not standing before him being judged for what we didn't repent of. And so here's this picture. John the Baptist is saying, Behold the Lamb of God. Or, or I'm making a way ready for Christ Jesus to come. And when he sees Him, he recognizes Him, and he's preparing a way for Jesus. Now, he's like, well, that's what John did. It was this forerunner type of spirit. And let me say this. I actually believe that we have the exact same type of call in this hour. Because we are doing this. We are... <laughs> by way of everything that we do like what we do is what we do as a church isn't because we thought that's a good idea let's it's like when you cook spaghetti or I, we don't do this now but i remember as a kid my mom would take the noodle and be like pump and throw it against the fridge and and if it's stuck it was done right and if it went down it wasn't cooked enough maybe some of y'all didn't do that but my mom did <laughs> We got in trouble one time for throwing it when she already put the sauce on it. We shouldn't have done that, apparently. <laughs> it's true. But everything that we do is to do this exact same thing. So, so we don't do things because we're like, that's what good church folks do. We do things because the Lord's led us to do them, right? That's why we started praying at 9.30 on Sunday mornings almost two years ago. It's not because I think we need to praise the church. I think it's because what the Lord told us to do. And what does it do? It prepares the way of the Lord to come, whether it's His second coming or whether it's the coming of His manifest presence among His people. It prepares the way. That's what our prayer room's doing, where we meet on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. Monday at 5, Wednesday at 7, Saturday at noon, where we're coming and worship and we're praying and we're interceding. And what it's doing, it's not doing it because we think we need to have more church services. We're doing Doing it because we believe one, there needs to be a restoration of the tabernacle of David. You can read the book of Amos for that. But but there also there needs to be this worship and intercession because what it does is it prepares the way of the Lord to come. When we come into this place, a lot of the battles that we used to have to fight, we're not having to fight for them. It's not it's not taking us 15 minutes to get into a worship. We're not halfway through two or three songs before it's like people start getting it's the way has been prepared for Christ Jesus it's what's going on in our youth group where they're meeting Tuesday or Thursday nights the Lord is preparing a way for them to learn how to host the presence of God in their day-to-day -day lives right it's 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 our food giveaways which by the way what does it do we're not let me tell you that we're not just throwing food at the problem by the way, they're not a problem, but that's the way the American church treats them. I'm going to go love on someone. That's gross sounding to me. I'm not going to love on anyone. I'm going to love them. I think loving on insinuates we're taking an advantage of them, but actually loving them is what the Father's heart is. So, so here's, this, here's this thing where we're, we're giving food away. And it's simple stuff. It's not expensive stuff by any means. And we're just doing the best we can to give people, 
this, this food to meet a physical need in that moment where one of our teenagers or one of our adults is holding the bag right here and putting it into the vehicle of the car, there's a moment, there's a transaction in that moment. And it's not by way of them giving us money, but it's by way of them grabbing a hold of that bag and the love of God flows through our people. And in that moment, it's preparing the way of the Lord for them to receive Christ Jesus. Once you understand, everything we do, we're forerunning to prepare the way. Again, we want Jesus to come back. I think it's going to take a little bit longer than most. I'm okay with that. That's my eschatology. But I also believe this, that we are called to be forerunners for Him so that people can experience Him right here and right now. And so, and then, then it goes on to our day-to-day lives. Everything we have done the last three and a half years is so that we equip people to live out a Christian life. It's not just being a Christian here at church, man. It's about living it day in and day out whether there's a call to worship whether there's songs being sang it doesn't matter I think for too long the church has been hunkered down hoping that Jesus comes back and rescues us from this planet and his word does not say that his word says that we are reconcilers we are supposed to usher in his presence we are supposed to lead people to him by his spirit that lives inside of us that's what we've been equipped to do I remember having a phone call. Man, I'm wound up. I remember having a phone call. I remember having a phone call right when COVID hit and we couldn't meet and I like whatever, but we couldn't meet and I had a phone call and I had a pastor ask me this. He said this. He said, "What are you going to do? Are your people ready for it?" Or I don't think my people's ready for it. I just don't know what they're going to do if they can't meet with us. And I thought like this, and I said this with the utmost humility. I said, brother, we have been working on this for three plus years where we've been trying to teach people to get in their Bibles and pray on their own week in and week out. And I believe that we're going to come out of this thing stronger than we were, than we went into this thing. And it's not an ideal situation, but we're going to make the most out of it. And I believe that by the time it is over, we will still be standing. We will be stronger than we were before. And we will see the hand of the Lord move. All of these things that we do forerunners for Jesus want to come back. But I want them here right now as well. Uh, everywhere I'm at, I want people. If I go into the grocery, I want people. I, I, like I care, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Because it's in my midst. It's within. So that means people have an opportunity to meet him, even if it's just for a moment. Boom, 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 boom. Just quick. It may be as simple as you being nice to someone and the next person that comes a week later is nice to him and they actually lead him to Christ. But you broke up that hard and fallow ground. All of these things declare that the kingdom of heaven's at hand. And all these things are designed to, I guess, usher in God's manifest presence. He's omnipresent. He's all places at all times. We understand that. You guys know this. But there's, place, there's times when you go into a church service and you're like, God is here. 
And I want to live my life where I'm always aware God is here. And I, for, I pray for my church that I pray that you all, you step into your living room. God's here. See, when revival really hits, when this spirit of Elijah comes, that's when you get the burden for the next generation. Now, hear me, I, I'm okay with this stuff, but when I say get a burden for the next generation, I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about like, man, I really love our youth group, and I do love our youth group, but let's throw a pizza party. <laughs> like, that's not what I'm talking about, and I'm all for pizza, obviously. <laughs> but he loves pizza. <laughs> What I'm talking about is turning our hearts to them and them stepping foot in their schools, whether it's Hardin County, whether it's Odom County, whether it's Jefferson County, whether it's Shelby County, and them shining a light that darkness cannot comprehend. Like That's what I'm talking about, turning our hearts to them. I want to turn our hearts to them to think that I'm looking in this room of people and I'm seeing these teenagers, these young men and these young woman, women and these kids, these young boys and girls, and I see them, I see them, and I think those are future apostles, prophets, shepherds, teachers, evangelists. These are future nurses that's going to lay hands on the sick, right? These are future teachers that's going to teach from a point of view of the kingdom. They may fly under the radar, but they're to do these things because they have met Jesus because we have spent the time to invest in them okay so 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 you'll really start to get a burden for these things because you when the spirit of Elijah shows up you have to or we begin to forfeit the very right to have revival Think about it, like, like why would the Lord want to try? Like, I, I know the Lord wants to come back. Jesus wants to come back for his bride. We understand that. But, but why, why would he trust a group of people that just be like, I just want my experience and don't want to give it away? That's not what he wants. He wants to trust people that live this thing out. All right, the Father's heart is this, to release blessings, not curses on the land. So like verse 6 and Malachi 4, verse 6, I actually think is a picture of revival. Okay, He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children. The word restore means he will turn back. It means that he'll bring back. It actually is the same word that's used as repent, which is, means he'll change the way that you think. You'll no longer think about yourself, but he'll rewire the way you think to where you're not concerned about just getting by. You're concerned with seeing these people succeed in life. Okay, he turns the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Smite means to, to strike to afflict, to destroy. (laughs) I don't know where you land on that. I think the Lord's good. I do. I think the Lord allows things to happen. I I posted, I think it was yesterday or day before, I can't remember, I was going through my phone and I was looking at pictures of, of even just the shopping center from four years ago and the transformation that the Lord has done. 
And it's like when the Lord begins to move in a group of people, it benefits the entire area. It's just like, like I, I know that they're going to be blessed because we're here. And I don't say it out of area. I say it because God's here. That's his heart. And him blessing draws people in. It's just what it does. Uh, uh, curse means this. This is wild, the word curse. So, so I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers. By the way, notice the order that's there. I've heard people say stuff like this. I, I'm just waiting on my kid to come back to me or I'm waiting on my kid to straighten up and then I'll... Like, no, look, look, man, this is, this is the fathers turning to their kids first and them seeing that they're actually loved and valued and then they turn their hearts to their fathers. I th- the, the order is really important. So I won't smite the land with a curse. Curse means consecrated possession, which means that, like, this is wild. This, this would mean that when the Lord smites the land with a curse, it means that he set that land aside. He may not have caused it, but he set that land aside for his purposes. I think it's a picture of what the Lord said in Romans 8, that, that he works all things together for the good of those who are loved and called according to his purpose. It means that when, even what, or what the enemy meant for harm, he'll use for good. Things get set aside for the Lord to use, and it's meant to initiate people coming closer to him. That's it's exactly what it is. It's like, it's like there's there's sometimes the Lord. I don't say it like I, I think of Tim Cox. I'm like I don't know why the Lord hadn't touched him fully yet, but I think he must have a great plan for Tim, for as much as refining as he has went through the last few years. You know what I'm saying? Like I just think the Lord he just wants to just do stuff through us, and so so us turning to. Sons and daughters with a father's heart. What you understand is too, it's not looking at them to fulfill our mission or vision. It's us looking at them with love and saying, how can we help make your dreams come true, what the Lord's doing in your heart? It actually brings healing and restoration to the land around us. It's a picture of Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What did the Father do in heaven? He turned his heart to the Son. What do we do? We turn our hearts to sons and daughters. We disciple, we mentor, we raise them up. I look around the room, I look around the room, and I think Miss Judy that's followed Jesus longer than probably anyone in the room's been alive. It's a lifetime of walking with him. And how much you have to be able to give to the people in this room. Look at Jeff and MK. Stuff that you two have walked through. look around the room and there's there's a lifetime of being faithful to Jesus that we can all learn from I could go around the room I'm not going to name anyone I just there's time and time again you can look around what the Lord does in your life it wasn't meant to die with you it was meant to be poured out unto those coming up after 
and you're like, I don't know how I can do it, I just, just pick up a phone, call someone, ask them how they're doing, hug on the kid, love on someone, not love on them, love them. <laughs> and it begins to bring healing and restoration to everything around us. And we need it more than ever. We need it more than ever. COVID-19. The wearing of masks. I heard someone say this, actually. I'm just going. I'm, the wearing a mask is a prophetic picture of the enemy looking to silence the mouth of Christians. <laughs> systemic racism, systemic poverty. Really systemic anger that you just, I just sense boiling under the surface with everything. We're a culture that's like uh, ready to pounce in a moment over anything right now. And it's a fatherless issue. It's a fatherless issue. It is like, I don't know what else to say. I, I just think, I just think the Lord's like, all right, you want revival, you want the spirit of Elijah, we want to prepare the way of the Lord to come. His presence, we want to prepare. Now I'm going to start giving you a heart. You know what's been beautiful the last few weeks? is like we're doing this without it being preached on. We're starting to. This week, Jeremy was supposed to have been out of town. Jeremy was supposed to have been out of town. I'm just going to brag on my boy, but he, he gave Ethan the equipment this week. He said, you've been working with me. Now I want you to run the video this week without my help. So I brought the young man up here about an hour early to let him set up when no one else was here so that people can watch at home. But that's someone saying, hey, let me do something with you. Our prayer room, I came in a few weeks ago and I, looked up and I'm like well and I didn't know what was going on at the moment and I looked up and I saw you sitting up here off camera but you were sitting up here learning how to lead worship I see Hunter learning the screen I see Aiden learn I'm, I'm saying this is looking at them and saying there's something in you and it's valuable and it's important Let's do our best to cultivate that. Doesn't mean you're going to do it the rest of your life, but it means I see it in you right now, and I want to do whatever I can. Let's be honest. Like, how many of us, like today, if someone would have looked at you when you were 15, 20 years old and said, I see something in you, how many of us would not have wrestled with the junk that we wrestled with most of our adult lives? So I just want to say this, as a church, I want us to begin to pray. And the Lord may have already brought people to your mind. And it doesn't even be weird, like your mother, you're my father, like it doesn't even be weird like that. But I want you to begin to pray, who is the Lord burdening you with? Those of us that have walked with Jesus longer, like, and it's not a matter of, 
And sometimes, by the way, sometimes the student becomes the teacher because the student is hungrier than the teacher. Just saying, it happens. And we recognize that, we honor that. But, but those of us in this room, I want you to start thinking, who is it in our life that we need to start sharing more with? And I'm not telling you, let them into your deepest, darkest secret. I'm just saying, just, I see value in you. I see what you have. I see potential in you. I see potential in you. I see what you're capable of. No one else in the room may see what you're capable of, but I sure do. I think it would change the world. Let's just pray. Let's just pray into this. <laughs> so Jesus, I, I, uh, <laughs> I would pray that you begin to raise up mothers and fathers in this house. They're here, but I pray you would begin to burden us with it. And this is not a, Lord, I'm not, I'm, I'm really careful. I, I'm praying, God, we don't hear this as a program because it is not a program. This is a life of, of living with other people. <laughs> this is, this legitimately is family, what you're calling people into. It's family. It's going to be messy. We're probably going to get our toes stepped on. We're probably going to get our feelings hurt. We're going to get aggravated, upset, agitated, and we're going to laugh. We're going to cry. We're going to enjoy the process, God. But I'm praying you would begin to raise up mothers and fathers so that we do not, so that we do not lose that spirit of Elijah. reminds me that when Malachi prophesied that about the spirit of Elijah coming it took 400 years for it to land on someone so I would say Lord let it not take 400 years <laughs> let it not even take 400 seconds let it just happen God give us this burden Lord, I even feel in the room some are just, they, they don't understand what, what's going on right now or don't really understand what was talked about. I would pray, God, that you just begin to speak to them on the car ride home. I would pray that you begin to speak to them over the upcoming few weeks or few days and you begin to make it clear what this is for. But I believe there's an invitation in this word, Lord. And I would pray that you help us all receive it, God. So, Lord, I love you. And I thank you and I bless you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give Jesus praise today?